remain standing, church. Amen. Please, in the scriptures, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And thank you for being here this morning as we do the time change thing. Uh, the older I get, the more I wish they'd leave it alone. You know, just leave the time alone. Seems like we're springing forward sooner and falling back later. And But you know, my desire is to bring you the truth of the Word every time you come to church. That's my first desire. And my second desire is to keep you awake. So there will not be any making up of that one hour around here today. <laughs> but I hope you can make it up later. And I'm glad you're here. Honored that you're here. This is the second of a series of lessons on living in the blessed zone. I told you one of the priorities of this year for me, among others, is this thing of being faithful with money and understanding God's plan of money. And I don't think we could hit it at a better time than where we are now based on our national and world economy. And God has a plan for all of us to live in the blessed zone, the place where He prospers us in mind and body and spirit and family and all these things. And so I want to take you through that journey. And this is the second in the series of lessons. And so Paul admonishes Timothy and those whom Timothy teaches in the first book by that name and the sixth chapter and verse six. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We know this to be the Word of God. Would you say amen? Before you're seated, I, I need you to pray for me, and I want to pray for you. Stretch your hands in my direction and ask God to bless us both. Hallelujah to Jesus. Father, your Word is better than medicine. Your Word is better, Lord than any kind of human efforts to help us while we need human efforts. Help me to help the church. Help us all together, Lord. Father, we're not just here to do our Sunday social thing. We need life. We need wisdom. We need truth. And we don't need just to be hearers only but doers. God, I pray that I would not get off in the flesh and promote my agenda. But I pray I would, I would speak the things you've given to me even things that might be a little bit uncomfortable to hear. If it's the truth, it'll set us free. Bind our hearts, our minds, our will, our desire together. Lord, I rebuke the devil from trying to steal any of your nuggets from anybody. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Keep your Bibles open, please, as you're seated. Last Sunday, just to get us up to where we are as you're seated, I spoke to you on living in the blessed zone, and more particularly, I spoke to you about God's plan for our success as it pertains to our obedience through the tithe. And I'm going to encourage you to get that CD from last Sunday because of the content of the word there. And if you are unable to get the CD, we try to have... Uh, the message online every Monday through Pastor Zach's office and that ministry so you can even get last Sunday's CD and hear that word because I'm thinking that I'm going to preach a sermon in this series entitled, Where's My Bailout? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody else is getting theirs. And some folks are getting theirs and abusing that too. So God's not interested in a bailout. God's interested in perpetual blessings. Because folks who get a bailout will use that up and want some more bailout. I'm starting to preach before I start to preach. And I told you last Sunday that the tithe is 10% off the top. And I spoke to you last Sunday of the principle of first fruit in the Old Testament and how it flows into the New Testament. And so 
if you have a problem with tithing because you think it's under grace, pardon me, under law, Old Testament, not under grace, you don't know your Bible. But get the CD and you'll learn more. Because what God did under law, he has perfected under grace. He just lifted it up to a higher standard, including the tithe. Okay? So, I told you that it is the first 10%. Not later on after all the bills are paid. I heard a story, and I thought it really exemplifies what I'm trying to say with this. This week I heard the story of a little boy who came to the missionary's hut after the missionary had been preaching to the people about salvation, water baptism, following God, and giving to God the tithe, the 10%, the first 10% of all. And so he knocks on the missionary's door of his hut. The missionary comes out, and he sees this little guy with a fishing pole, and he's got a stringer, but he's got one fish on it. And he says, son, been fishing? Yes, sir. What you got? Well, I got, bought you this fish. This is my tithe. He said, what do you mean? I don't see any more fish. You just got the one. He said, well, I'm bringing the Lord the first one I caught, and I'm going to go back and catch the rest. Because he gets the first, and the other nine I'm getting. That's kind of the way it works. Let me tell you this about the tithe. There is something in God's economy when it comes to the tithe that the first percent is packed, 10% is packed with power. When you give the first 10%, the rest is blessed. Say amen, somebody. The rest of the harvest, the rest of the income is coming because you honored God with the first fruit, the best. When, when God told the Israelites to go in to take the promised land, he said the first city, Jericho, every bit of it, silver, gold, everything, all of the valuables belong to God. Don't you touch it. Because I will take the first and the best and the rest of the cities you can take. And I told you last week about Achan who touched it and it became cursed. Whenever you and I take what belongs to God, it doesn't, isn't blessed anymore. It's cursed. So in the spirit of the tithe and in bringing you up to date, uh, Pastor JC found me a nice little clip, uh, a sort of a DVD video clip that talks about tithing. I thought it was cute. So feel free to laugh with it, okay, because it's meant to be a little humorous, but it's also meant to teach truth. The top ten reasons, them delights, why people don't tithe. Ladies Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us on this week's Top Ten List. Today's list, the top ten reasons why people don't tithe. Number ten, they feel awkward making change out of the offering bucket. Number nine, they don't know if they should tithe off their gross income or net income. Number eight, those buckets don't take credit cards. Number seven, oops, they forgot their wallet. Again. Number six, they missed the bucket because they fell asleep during the sermon. Number five, too much free coffee. Number four, they have an unhealthy attachment to money. Number three, they're in college. Give them a break. Number two, church staff members are exempt, right? And the number one reason why people don't tithe, they think they know how the money is being spent. Thanks for joining us on this week's Top Ten List. Yes! Hallelujah. Part of my mission is to demythify the myths. So this morning I want to talk to you about contentment. And that's living with what you have and being available when God asks. In his book, Financial Peace, Dave Ramsey observes this about Americans. He said, we Americans like stuff. We've been called materialistic, self-centered, and a me generation. And none of us 
want to be accused of being materialistic, but admittedly, we in America do like stuff. We like nice cars, fast and shiny. We like nice food, delicious. We like uh, designer clothes and shoes and expensive stuff. We like a beautiful house. But we don't like to think that we might be materialistic. Now, the people who are materialistic are the people who are out of our income bracket, we think. Materialism starts where our wages stop. So if you make 30000 a year, people who are really materialistic are those who make 60000 Uh Materialism is, is so much about if somebody has more than we have, then they're materialistic. And if we're not materialistic, then maybe we have what is another kind of disease known as stuffitis. You ever heard of stuffitis? Stuffitis is the kind of disease that those who suffer from it have an insatiable desire for stuff. Stuffitis is the kind of disease that causes us to buy Elvis head-shaped chia pets and singing reindeers to be mounted on the wall and singing fish to be mounted on the wall that says, don't worry, be happy. You know, the real-life necessity kind of stuff I'm talking about. And for about 20 bucks, we are told you could buy a chia pet with a chia head, and you can even watch that chia grow on live chia cam. And if you do that, you got more time than I do. But sooner or later, everybody buys chia pets or things that we just got to have. And that's the problem, church. You see, gotta have is less about finances and more about our focus. It's a lack of contentment. Let me continue. It is the soul being not at rest. Stephitis causes us to, to be nearsighted, seeing only our present circumstances and situations and wanting everything now, now, now. I don't know if you've observed, but maybe you have, but our culture in America has what is called a microwave mentality. We don't want to wait about anything. Especially, we don't want to wait for the delicious, healthy goodness that crock pot cooking can do. And it was quiet when I was rehearsing this sermon before church, so I'm doing all right. We tend to settle for the second, the third, the fourth best just because we have become impatient as a culture and discontented. Gary Thomas writes a book, and the title of the book is called Authentic Faith. And this is what he says about contentment. Contentment is nothing more than soul rest. It is satisfaction, peace, assurance, and a sense of well-being that is cultivated by pursuing the right things. Hear me now. Instead of more power, more money, more pleasure, and more control, we then should seek an abundance of grace and peace because contentment is the opposite of striving. Say amen. Contentment is the opposite of aching and restlessness and worry. Godliness achieves Contentment. Say amen. In the text, verse 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. And, and I have come to understand and discover that those who want to live in God's blessed zone, those who want to live with contentment, discovers that financial peace happens when you live with what you have and you are available when God asks you. Say amen. Put it on the screen for me, Jeremy. Here again, I want you to get it. Financial peace happens when you are content with what you have and available when God asks. Here's another definition that I discovered late last night when I thought I was finished with this sermon. And I want you to get this. Contentment, it won't be on the screen. Contentment is developing the ability to admire without the need to acquire. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
if I am not presently uh, able now to acquire a beautiful, nice fishing boat, I can rent one or befriend someone who has one, which I have learned to do over the years. Now, maybe along the way later on, and I enjoy fishing, and, and my father-in-law, uh, Brother Charles Gann, is here, and he's taken me fishing many occasions, and I like fishing more than hunting, and he knows that, because one time he took me deer hunting, and I tied myself up to the top of the tree and fell asleep. There wasn't no deer, there wasn't no elk or antelope or mice coming through there at 30 in the morning. <laughs> but I like to fish, okay? And so, so what I found out is, if I can't afford the boat right now, I'll go with a friend and I'll, I'll carry my own weight. I'll provide, if you let me, I'll pay for the gasoline and buy the bait because I should carry my own weight. And then I'll, I'll, be, and then I'll enjoy the day. If I catch something or didn't catch something, I'll just enjoy the day. And, I, and I'll leave the end of the day admiring his boat, but realizing now he got to go home and wash that thing and shine that thing up and pay for the insurance and pay for the gas. Because that's part of the thing about developing the ability to admire without the need to acquire. I love to go to the ocean every summer. And I love to go to the mountains sometimes in the winter. We all have places we like. And, and boy, I tell you, the larger my family gets, the, the, the less I want to stay in a motel room and the more I want to stay in a condominium or a cabin because I don't want them in my face all the time. You understand? I like my family. So I like, I like something nicer. And I, I think one day maybe, maybe I'll be blessed, and many of you are, and thank God for you. And as soon as I find out who you are, I'm coming to see you. you you're, you're blessed with a place on the mountain, at the mountains or a place at the ocean or on the lake because you've been faithful to God and God's taken care of you. Can I get an amen? Let, let me just insert here something, okay? You don't have to apologize for having been faithful to God and God gives you nice clothes, nice house, nice car, a place on the lake, okay? If you've given your tithe and your offerings and you put God first and God bless you with that, you don't have to apologize to anybody, okay? At the same token, however, the reverse of that is if God's blessed you, you don't need to be taking the ride of pride and saying, look what I got me, okay? If God's blessed you, you don't need to be saying, look what my wealth, my ability got me, this house, this car, this education. There needs to be a balance, okay? But here's my point is, I like to go to the mountains, I like to go to the lake, I like to go to the ocean. But for right now, I'm okay with renting it for a week and not owning it for indefinitely because I, I'm not presently able or desirous, that's not a priority right now, while I raise a family to do something like that, okay? For others it could be, but my point is, God give us the capacity to admire without the need to acquire everything. So let's talk about contentment. Contentment, trust God, not Visa. You see, our society has learned to put trust and security in a plastic card that feels light in your wallets and purses, but it turns out to be one of life's heaviest burdens after you start using that thing. Now, many people claim to use credit cards only for emergencies. It's amazing how we change the definition of emergencies when we want something, huh? Oh, I don't think I want to cook tonight. Order 10 pizzas. Well, I don't know if that's an emergency. But, oh, it's going to get quieter as I go. Uh, we have this idea. If, if, if for some reason something happens that uh, we, we had to have some stuff, but we don't have enough money in the checking account, the saving account, we swipe it. And little do we realize that when you swipe it, you lay yourself open for getting swiped at the tune of 18 or 20 or 30%. You all hear me out there? Yeah. So when we trust Visa... It shows a lack of financial preparation on our part and a lack of trusting in God on our part. Somebody say amen. Here's where we ought to be. We have to believe that God will provide for us and take care of us if we trust Him, follow Him, and take care of His resources in a wise way. If we take care of the blessings we already have, if God can trust us with $100, He can then trust us with 200 If God can trust us with clothes, He can trust us with nicer clothes because we learn the priority that our blessings doesn't come from Visa, MasterCard, or the federal government. Our blessings comes from God. Now you ought to give Him a hand clap of thanks. So... Here are a few godly principles that helps us to learn to live in contentment. We must learn to act our wage. Growing up, you ever had anybody tell you, act your age? 
Well, we're still growing up. And we have to be told along the way by the Holy Spirit and those who love us, act your ways. What does that mean? It means living on less than what we make. Now, I know you didn't come here this morning for a course in economics, but God felt like we needed one. Here's the question. How can we ever hope to free ourselves from financial bondage if we're using up everything we make? And even worse, if we're using up more than what we make. Those who keep these kind of statistics tell us that the average American spends $1.22 for every dollar he or she makes. How many know you don't have to be a CPA to know that plan won't work? Sounds quite a bit like the federal government, doesn't it? Keep going, Alan. Act our wage. Is that for the federal government? I can't stop now. No. If your hope is in our government, you are going to be utterly miserable. The, I respect, listen to me, I pray for President Obama, like I prayed for President Bush and Clinton. I pray for his administration, I pray for the senators and Congress people. Look at our leaders, look at our leaders. Four of the potential top candidates for cabinet positions had to decline because they want you to pay your taxes on time and all of it, but they won't until they get caught. It's all right, but it's true, okay? Here in the state of Georgia, I heard this week, we got some representatives in, in the state of Georgia who hadn't paid all their taxes, but now they'll rack up your penalty to the tune of high percentage or even throw you in jail. When we got leaders like that, if that's where your hope is, you might as well go ahead and select your burial plot and give me a date for your funeral because you're going to die soon for trusting in the wrong things. You're, you're not hearing me, are you? That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in God's plan for our lives. L let me tell you this, and while I'm at it, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you that the Lord has given me some inspiration as I preach. You know what? The, the downturn of the Amer American economy and so many American lives has been and is now manifesting itself this year and it's going to be beyond this year. There have been two forces that have been driving this generation for uh, this present generation and even our culture for the last 50 years or more. These two forces that have put us in this mess where we can't even bail out ourselves are these things known as envy and greed. America's economy and financial shape is like a twin-engine airplane where one of the engines is envy and the other engine is greed and we have lost control of the aircraft and we're going down fast. That's the reason we're the mess we're in because we're living in a materialistic society that wants more, 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 more and doesn't realize that God wants a relationship with us first and then all the other things of life He will take care of. Somebody ought to praise him. Yeah. Let, let me show you another truth. We have to live within the present. Having said to you that we must act our wage, I say now we have to live within the present, meaning if we don't accept our current financial situations and live according to our income, we will forfeit our future. You know, it doesn't look like we're worried too much now about our kids' future or grandkids. Those of you who have grandkids, it doesn't look like we're worried too much about that anymore. We're worried about our own future. And, and if, we, if we don't learn how to live within the confines of our wages and our income and know how to be content with what we have right now until God gives us more later, if it's His will, if we don't learn how to live within the parameters of the fact that we've got to buy groceries for this week, you know, there's something about living that requires eating or eating vice versa. You know what I'm saying? And so what we do is, if we just got to have more stuff, 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 then what we do is spend all our time taking care of things that, after three months, become old and end up in the yard sale. Or before we even pay it off on the credit card, we hate it. And what we do by that is forfeit our future. We, we have to stop dressing to impress and start dressing to keep warm. And I might add, since summer's coming, to be modest. I feel a whoop, glory. Tell somebody, I say, we've got to start dressing to cover up some more. Oh, I could keep going. Yeah. 
dressed and to impress. Do you remember when there was a time in America when you had a hole in your jeans and you had a faded jeans and ragged down there at the bottom and clothes this shovel looked like it's been worn by several groups of people over a number of years. Do you remember when that was considered, you know, that's the best you can do? But now our culture, those kind of clothes that I just described are the most expensive clothes. This is considered out of style. They say penne. And so our kids, because we are driven by stuff, it's got to have a hole. And it's got to be baggy and saggy. And the first one I see like that, I'm going to staple up, you know what? There's just some things that, <laughs> oh, God, I don't like to have therapy off of you folks, but it feels good. You know, we got to come back to planet Earth, everybody. Live in today so that the future won't be compromised. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but you got to work and serve God with such passion as if he's coming today. Live in holiness as if he's coming today. But remember, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus said he's coming back. And you may have to live next week, next month, next year. So be wise, act your ways, and live within the present. Here's a third point. We must live free from bondage. Somebody say amen. You know, in my studying financial peace, I've come to appreciate this thought. See what you think. There's no such thing as financial freedom. Only financial peace. Because as long as you live in this world, you are always going to have to spend money for something. There's no such thing as financial freedom. You're going to have to keep paying the phone bill, the gas bill, the power bill, the water bill. It seems like after paying all those things for all those years, you would have met your quota. But it ain't that way. Am I right? So really there's no such thing as financial freedom. There is this thing as financial peace. Meaning that if I put God first, if I give God the tithe and the offering, and I realize everything I have, God has given me the capacity to have, and I'm putting God first, then when the, the utility bill comes, when the phone bill, the gas bill, the mortgage, the rent, when you've given to God first, you won't near as have, near have as much emergencies as you had before because God has blessed you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over because that's what he said he would do. Put him first and all the other things shall be added to you. Observe, if you will, Proverbs 22 and 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. How many know what I'm talking about? If you get in such a shape where you have to have stuff, 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 and you charge it to credit cards and you borrow from here, there, and yon, then money rules you. Money leads you around all over the place because you've got to keep chasing it to get it to keep from going to jail or having bad credit because you'll become a slave to things. Hear me, church. But if you put God first and live within your means and act your wage and wait until the time that God blesses you with new things in the future, then you don't become a slave to money. Money becomes your servant. Look at what Jesus says, please, in Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 24. So no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Give me an amen, somebody. And what God is saying to us this morning in this service is, who, are, who is running you? Who are you worshiping? Who are you serving? Who are your idols? What is your idol? Or what are your idols? Is it your house? Is it your job? Your education? Your car? Your boat? Your clothes? Or is God the God of your life and He has priority? If you serve God, God is an extremely jealous God. He will not share your affection with anything else. But if you give Him your affection, He'll take care of your everything else. Somebody else praise Him. Yeah. Money has the power to corrupt and the power to bless. Isn't that what Paul says in our text? Isn't that what he says in, in, in verse 9, please? It won't be on the screen, but 1 Timothy 6 and 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You still with me? Verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith, and, and in their greediness have strayed away from the faith, and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. i got more to say than I have time to say, but I will say this. 
in 1 Kings 21, Ahab, the king of Israel, coveted Naboth's vineyard garden. Ahab was the man, the king, supreme authority, lived in a palace furnished by taxpayers, had servants paid for by taxpayers, had sumptuous food provided from the farms and the livestock of taxpayers, had the best dishes to eat from, best clothing to wear. Everywhere he went, there was pomp and circumstance. He and Jezebel. That wasn't the thing that he as king couldn't have if he wanted it. Coming home one day from a trip out, he saw a beautiful vineyard not too far from the palace and coveted it. Inquired of the owner on his way home, and the owner was Naboth, a hard-working, decent, God-fearing man. And he says to Naboth, give me this vineyard. I'll buy it from you. I'll give you one better, bigger. I'll give you, uh, when you make a deal with me, and you come out on top, and I'll have what I want here. Naboth says there are several reasons why I can't give you this vineyard and won't. And number one is in God's economy of thing in Israel at that time, the land stayed within the families and the tribes. Give me a witness. huh? Land was not up for real estate sale and transferring of property to strangers because God says the land's going to be yours perpetually. And so Naboth said, number one, God give it to me and I don't have the capacity to give it away. It's not mine to give away. When, it, when I go on through that, it's going to go on through my family. And then next reason or two, he says, I'm not going to give it away. And I'm assuming this now is because I've worked hard. This beautiful vineyard with its luscious grapes and vines and, and laden with provision has come as a result of my sweat and my labor early morning, all day, late evening. I cultivated it, and as a result, I want to have the benefit of its bounty. They had the king. They had the Arab. Come on, y'all know that, don't you? That's all I know about that song. Ahab goes home, doesn't even say hello to Jezebel, just goes straight to his room, gets in his bed, lays down, pull the cover over. Man, sullen, spoiled, upset. And Jezebel comes in and says, Honey, what's wrong? Well, I saw this vineyard, and I wanted this vineyard as neighbors. It's beautiful, it's luscious, it's bountiful, it's near where we live. I got to have it. Now, I try to be reasonable with neighbors, and I try to say, I'll buy it from you. I'll give you twice the size, whatever he looked. But he says, you ain't going to do it, Jezebel, because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Just says, go to bed. I'll take care of it by tomorrow. She does. She takes care of it by the next day. Because she's the queen and she got the power. She sets up a system, a plan, where Naboth, a righteous, godly man, is accused of blaspheming God. She provides two false witnesses because by the word of two witnesses, at least, it had to be established. And the, the one of the most uh, uh, destructive things an Israelite could do was to blaspheme God. And so she, she paid some people to lie and got, and, and by the end of the next day, Naboth was a dead man and Ahab got his property. Because those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And Ahab got his vineyard and he went on as if they didn't do a thing. The human eyes around him didn't catch it. And if they caught it, what could they do? He was the king. I'll tell you something about God. He says, what you sow, you'll reap. He says, if you sow good, you're going to get good. And a lot of it. He also said, oh, help me, Holy Ghost. With what measure, you measure it out. It's coming back. That's good or bad. And if you know your Bible, you know that Ahab died a miserable, disgusting, shameful death. And his wife Jezebel her flesh was eaten by the dogs. They couldn't even find her body except for maybe the palm of her hand that the dogs left because 
while the world system may not catch all of the unrighteousness, God says, payday is coming. So, so let me say, oh, help me, Jesus. Be con- G- give me the next slide. I-, I like what Dave Ramsey says. Back it up, Mark. He says, we buy things with money we don't have in order to impress people we don't like. Are y'all, y'all with me? Huh? It's thinking we can buy happiness. Right, not, not the next slide. Be content with what you have. There's that ringing voice in our ears in this American culture that says, more, 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 more. And because we're always consuming, we're never satisfied as a culture. Help me hear somebody. Somebody taught us, whether by their words or watching somebody else's action, to buy the things we want. So we learn that if there's a will, there's a way. If we begin to desire something brand new, then we should find a way to get it. Because you deserve a break. You deserve a blessing. You deserve, you work hard. You deserve, and while you might be deserving of it, if it compromises God's plan and puts you in debt and slaves to somebody else, that's not God's timing for you to get that thing. Be content with what you have. We must learn to think clearly about our materialistic wants and desires. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm standing here thinking, I've preached in this church this month to be 24 years. And I'm standing here thinking, I know how to move a crowd if I want to. That can't, comes with time. Over a period of time, pastors can know how to say the word, yell, and get people all emotional. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I ain't trying to do that this morning. I ain't trying to get a yell out of you, and by the time you hit the car parking lot, you forget what the Word of God says. I, I'm trying to give you some medicine right now so you can yell and shout and be happy down the road. Free you up. Oh, help me. Mm-mm. You see, we, we got this, this thing going on in our culture, always consuming. So we got marketing companies and ad agencies that try to tell us what will make us happy. Million dollar ads, multi-million dollar campaigns, launching new products. If you wear this makeup, you'll look like you're 40 years younger. Go home and wash your face. You'll find out it didn't happen. You wear this clothes, you drink this beer, you drive this truck. I'm a preaching little machine here this morning. You'll be happy. Yeah. Women will, well, you know, you single guys, we'll just, just, you drive this kind of, oh, women are just calm. I, I read a statistic where women are more concerned about shopping than they are dating. I think that's a true number. One father said he has three daughters, and if, they, if his girls don't go to the mall for three days in a row, the mall will send him a get well card. become slaves to, the Lord says this, please, Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that this world will squeeze you into its mold. We used to try to keep up with the Joneses until we found out the Joneses have filed bankruptcy twice. The world says, dress this, buy this, wear this, go there, and you'll be happy. And God says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And I'm asking you this morning to join me in asking God to give us a new view of money and stuff. Look what Dave Ramsey said in his book, The Total Money Makeover. I quote Dave Ramsey. He says, Debt has been sold to us so aggressively, so loudly, and so often that to imagine living without debt requires myth-busting. We have to systematically destroy the inner workings of the myths. Debt is so ingrained into our culture that most Americans can't even envision a car without a payment, a house without a mortgage, a student without a loan, and credit without a card. Y'all heard me? There's more. Listen to this. We have been sold debt with such repetition and with such fervor that most folks cannot conceive what it would be like to have no payments. 
Just as slaves born into slavery can't visualize freedom, we Americans don't know what it would be like to wake up without a debt. Last year, 5.3 billion credit cards offers were put in our mailbox, and many are taking advantage of it. Look at this. Those who keep up with these numbers say this to us. According to Card Track, an organization that keeps up with credit card use and indebtedness in America, according to Card Track, Americans currently have $660 billion in credit card debt. We are leveraging our future by doing this kind of living. And no wonder Satan attacks us like he does. Because he makes us think that there's no way out. And the way out is obedience. Let let me show you Romans 12 and 2 again. But let me show it to you from the message. Because I think the message has a more contemporary Meaning, see if you don't agree. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Can I get an amen? Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Hold on. You ever bought something home from the store and thought, what did I do? I wasn't thinking. The pastor's wife came home with a brand new dress after they both agreed that we are not going to spend any more money until we talk about it. Because we want financial freedom. Now, this ain't this pastor's wife. Okay, I may be born tonight, but not last night. And I still want points with my wife. So this ain't this pastor's wife, meaning me. on that, after she put on that dress, she said, what do you think? He said, well, it's beautiful, honey, but, but, but I thought we agreed that we were not going to spend any more money on anything until we talked about it and agreed that we could afford it. Yes, he said, but the devil tempted me so, I just couldn't resist it. And he said, well, why didn't you tell the devil to get thee behind me, Satan? He said, I did. And he said, it looks nice from back here, too. <laughs> Don't you use that, women. That ain't of God. Look, look, at, look, at, look at Romans 2. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And there's, there's one more. Listen. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. Somebody say amen. Oh, okay, okay, let me see. Okay. People and companies all around us are whispering incentives in our ears, temptation to spend money differently than God's plan. Here's what God says. Put it on the screen. We must learn to trust God with what we do have right now. Yeah. Look, I don't want to just keep beating this, but I want you to get it. It says, for godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out, having food and clothing. With these things, be content. I'm hurrying. Look, look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Has God ever failed anybody here? No. Hmm. So here's the thought. Be satisfied with what you have. In America, we get confused with the definition of happy and fun. We get happy and fun mixed up. Now, you can buy fun, but you can't buy happiness. You can buy fun by going to Six Flags and taking your family one day to Six Flags. And, and by the end of the day, however, it ain't fun no more. You've stuffed them with all the stuff they wanted. You brought home stuff and you buy these bracelets, this and this animal, this and this food here. And you go in your car and everybody's miserable and mad and the spirit of slap comes on you and you wish you'd left them at Six Flags. Don't act so pious. None of you are raising princesses. And, well, anyhow. You're all in the yard. That's fun. You can buy fun, but it don't last. Here's happiness. Happiness 
is when you tuck that little girl into her bed at night and you pull the cover over her and you say prayers over her and you teach her to pray and you kiss her on the cheek and you say, I love you, honey. And then she looks up to you and says, Daddy, I love you. And that's heaven. Two, three years ago, some baggy britches hole in their jeans, saggy pants, frizzle up, blue jean guy came and stole my little girl. But I'm <laughs> two girls, Dad. But I got something else now. I got a dog that licks me just about every night right there. <laughs> I love you. He licks she, she rather. Yeah, this same guy that wasn't going to have a dog on the couch, much less the bed. But whatever it takes to save one's marriage, you do it. And if I want my wife to know that, I'll tell her, get the CD. I got a closing thought. And if you help me preach, it won't be so long to close. Listen to me. I did, did I tell this service, did I tell this service the two major problems in America's envy and greed? Did I say that already? I guess I got three services. And the older I get, the more I repeat myself. The two major forces in America that drives this country back. Next slide. Listen to me. Please understand this, preacher. God doesn't need our money near as much as we need to give it. God doesn't need our money because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills and all the valuables under the hills. None of us could make God any richer or poorer by giving him or withholding our money. But we need to be obedient to God because God has tied into our lives the principle of obedience, when we obey God with our tithe and our offerings and money, then the Bible says he opens up the windows of heaven, Malachi 3, and pours us out a blessing where there's not enough room to contain it. The Bible says when we give God what is his, he will rebuke the devourer, which is the devil for our sake. He says, prove me, test me, prove me. Bring that first fish and go back fishing. And if you need a boatload, net breaking, boat sinking, catch a fish, I'll supply your needs. Put me first. Somebody give a Lord thanks. Yeah. Now, now here's where the medicine is. It's not paying your bills, the utility, the house payment, the car payment, and then giving God a tenth with what's left over. That's not tithing. It's giving God the first. Let me tell you something. The first 10%, the best, the best off the top, because the first portion is packed with power. And let me tell you this. God does not give any of us the authority to say, I'll give 5% to the orphanage, 3% to missionaries, and the rest I'll give to church, and that's 10%. That's not tithe. That's giving. Above the tithe, the 10% bring all the tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the church. The storehouse in the Old Testament used to be the tabernacle, the temple. In the New Testament, it became the church. It's where you get fed, where you get blessed, where you get prayed for, where we solemnize the rite of marriage over you and your family, where we bury the dead in an honorable way, where we perform other kinds of dedication and blessing. It's the place where people are, uh, get visited when they're in the hospital. It's a place from which people who are on drugs get delivered if they come to the programs. It's a place where they are delivered from sin. It's the storehouse. Now, I don't mean to make anybody mad, but I'll run the risk to make you mad in order to get you blessed. Anybody know what walking the check means? Walking the check. Let me show you what it means. Walking the check is like going to eat at Caraba's restaurant, Italian. Uh, some folks just woke up. Getting the best item on the menu, the most flavorful thing, having an entree, salad, best drink, and superb dessert and enjoying a belly full, the waiter brings you the check, lays it on the table, you thank him, he thanks you, but you leave and walk out without paying for the meal. You walk the check. You walk away from the check. Now, let me show you that in America this morning, Millions of worshipers, including this house, will walk the check. Now, if you want a church where you get sued and stroke and you get three points in a poem, this ain't it. But if you want a church where you want to come under the blessing of God, and I may not get all my words grammatically correct, and I may not be tall, dark, and handsome. I got two of the three. Uh, you figure it out. 
if you want the truth to set you free and you want to have liberty so that you come under the favor of God, because men will fail you and money will fail you and things will rot and corrode and pass away, but your soul will live eternally in heaven because God requires obedience in every area of our life, including money. But, but listen to this. When the staff and I attended the C3 conference in Dallas three weeks ago, in Grapevine, Texas, right out of Dallas, Ed Young Jr.'s church, what a privilege we had and we enjoyed that opportunity to sit under the teaching and the tutelage of some wonderful men of God on church, creative church conference. And there were men like Jensen Franklin and, and men like Tommy Barnett from First Assembly in Phoenix and men like T.D. Jakes under whose teaching and preaching we were powerfully blessed. Uh, and then Ed Young, the pastor of that church, Ed Young Jr., he has three campuses in Dallas, in the Dallas area, and one in Miami. And uh, Ed Young says this to us. He says, of, of the approximate 20 or more thousand people that attend the four campuses in the Dallas uh, uh, metro area and in Miami, of the 20 or so thousand people who come to church on Sunday, only 21% of the people tithe. 79% of the people walk with Jesus. And I thought, I wonder what it's like at South Hampton Ministry. Because I always had this, you know... Let's go and check all these numbers and things. And, and now I know why the Lord has told me to preach this, because I did check them. We are in refinancing South Metro Ministries, refinancing a loan that we had and have on our most recent building. The balance is almost $2 million, And so we want to refinance, get the lowest rate, and secure that loan, and then begin to plan and pray for the next building. I want to pay off that debt so we can build the next and keep going. Because God's challenged us. I, I really don't want to spend the rest of my preaching days preaching three services on Sunday morning. I'd rather preach two or one and get everybody in the same house. But, I, but that's what we have to do for now because, see, we want to live within the present. And the bank asked us, South Metro Ministries, the banks with whom we are conversing, how many giving units do you have at South Metro Ministries last year? So we were forced to look through the numbers. We have 985 members in this church, and our attendance last month averaged 965. And only 23% of the people who come to this church, less than 250 of the 965, tithe. Listen to me. Hear me. The Bible says when we don't tithe, we steal from God. Not Alan Matula. Do you think? I want you to tithe and give, but God's given us a dream and vision here, and he can bring it to pass whether I'm obedient or disobedient in, in, in my tithing. Well, of course, as a pastor, I'm going to be obedient. I, I'm not foolish, but my point is, the, the point is, I, I tie the hands of God to bless me. I close the window of heaven to bless me. How is God going to heal my body, save my children, deliver somebody from drugs and alcohol and sexual habits of sin? How is God going to help my marriage? And how is God going to give me a sound mind when I want God to bless me? And I'm a thief. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to set some people free here. You know what God says? Even though I have gold in heaven, one day you are going to walk on streets of gold. One day you're going to live in mansions that... that uh, the gates of heaven are of pearls. The walls of jasper. There are 12 foundations, 12 thick foundations of heaven, each of them a precious stone. That's the kind of God I'm, we're serving here, okay? And God says, I don't think I'm going to let you into my heaven if you stole down. Oh, help me, Jesus. Uh, let, let me show you this. Next slide. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to the overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Next slide. This, this whole series of, of stewardship and living in the blessed zone isn't about you giving your money alone. It's about honoring God. God has given, somebody says, Pastor, you're saying giving generously reminds us of who we are and that everything belongs to God, every penny? I beg to differ, Pastor. I'm the one that worked 80 hours for that money. 
Not God. I beg to differ with you. Because the cash you hold in your hand with the money you thought you earned comes from the tree that God planted that made it the paper. Okay? Let me tell you something else. The dexterity of your hands, the, the, the soundness of your mind, the ability of your eyes, the movement of your feet and your legs to handle those heavy equipment or handle the, the computer or, or all the abilities and skills you have. The, it is God who puts seeing in your eyes and walking in your feet and muscles and, 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 and the, the movements of, of your fingers. It's God. I mean, none of you here today are plugged up to a machine that I know of to keep your heart beating that you're here in church. You're not plugged into a wall for some external power. It's God who put air in your lungs, beat in your heart, and life in your blood. Everything you and I have, everything without exception, comes from God. He deserves. Put it slide. The children, put them up for me. God has tied in the advancement of the kingdom to our obedience. He has everything he needs, and heaven's splendid with, so splendid with, I can't describe it. So splendid is heaven. But God says, in order for the church to move on, to build churches, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the addict, to send missionaries. I, God, have chosen to ask my children to bring the first fruits so the kingdom of God could be expanded. I have chosen to use the obedience of the people I save and heal and bless and protect. I have chosen by them bringing their 10% an offering to advance the kingdom around the world. And while I'm preaching to you this morning, these precious 12 children are in Bangalore, India. And I was in that very room, on that very couch and very chair in 2006. The church is upstairs. And this pastor started an orphanage. And if you've ever been to India, you know the need is large. You know there are children who will die without hope, without help, without food. Because India doesn't have yet the capacity to take care of its own population. Next slide. They will get an education. They will hear about Jesus. They will have a warm place to sleep, clothes to wear, food to eat. Because every month when you tithe and give in this church, this is only one of our projects. But I got this email this week and I had to share it with you. When you tithe and give, we send funds to Bangalore, India thousand dollars a month presently to this project and when you get up to heaven somebody may be a child or they may be full grown depends on when jesus comes in time and they're gonna hug you and kiss you on the cheek and say thank you i was naked and you clothed me i was hungry and you fed me i was sick and you did well, what do you mean uh, i ain't never met you before I, I was the one to pass this preacher put up my preacher thing anybody know what i'm talking about stand with me Stand with me. Stand all over the house. I bless you, Jesus. Now, I'm going to receive the offering after I pray. I know I haven't received the offering yet. Any good preacher worth his salt is not going to forget the offering. So, you know, I haven't done that yet. But I have a reason for receiving it now instead of before. Because I want for the Lord to be honored in our worship by our giving. Bow your heads. I don't only want to open the door for you this morning for financial blessings. I want to open the door for your eternal, your eternal home in heaven, your soul salvation. And in the name of Jesus, if you need him today as your Savior, please every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you say, Pastor, I've had the things and I've lost it and I got them back again and I'm still not happy. Pastor, I have had wealth, but without God, I'm miserable. And there are people who don't have wealth, and they're still miserable. So it's, it's not so much have or have not as it is being in right relationship with Jesus. You feel like you're, you're so full of stuff-itis, but the blessing you need, money can't buy. You need peace. You need rest. You need hope. You need joy. 
Maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. Head bows and eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to decide right now. Pastor, I need salvation or I need to come back to God today. Raise your hands if that's you. I'm not going to take long with this, but I see one, two, three. Uh, raise it. I see a fourth hand. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hold up your hand if that's you. Five, six, seven of you. I'm coming back to Jesus. Oh, there's more now. I can't count them all. Pastor, I raise my hands. God seeing my hands. I mean it. And I want to have peace with Him. Put them down. Now, everybody in the church, encourage them, if you're already saved, by repeating this prayer with them out loud. So everybody will do it. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I repent of greed and envy. I repent of living after my own passions and desires. I ask you today to forgive me. I have grieved you. I confess I'm a sinner. Wash away my sins. Cleanse me from all filthiness of the flesh. Write my name in your book of life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. I receive Him today by faith as my Savior. Live in me, Jesus. Cleanse me from the old life. And help me today to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe He's done it, give Him thanks. Come on, put your hands together. Give Him thanks. I thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. There's something we can sing together. Come, ushers, if you will, remain standing. I want you to join with me now this morning as you prepared your tithe and offerings. And I want us to give this morning in obedience to His Word and as part of worship. Hey, giving should never be a low point in the service because it's worship and obedience. Thank you, Jesus. So I bow my head. Father, and, and we bow our heads together. We are not here to measure the size of our offerings with each other and even envy or criticize. But Father, we, we bring the first fruits today and we understand that contentment comes from godliness. And godliness comes from obedience. So we obey gladly in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship as you give. There is a fountain. Sing with it. Full of grace and truth from Emmanuel. Grace. Oh, hallelujah. It came and it healed me. It came and it filled me. It came and washed my sins away. Now I will rejoice. Do it, church. I will rejoice. right to rejoice with his child. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad. There is a fountain full of grace and it flows from him thanks for his word and his favor. Hallelujah. Have a great life. God bless you as you go. Enjoy today and walk in his favor.